Welcome to the Property Business Accelerator podcast with your host, Mike Frisbee. Mike is a well-respected property investor and has built up a high-yielding residential property portfolio across the Southeast since 2006. Mike is well known for his HMO expertise and for specializing in delivering high-end, premium and affordable HMO living spaces. Complex property knowledge made simple, direct from the property front line with Mike Frisbee. Welcome to today's episode of the Property Business Accelerator. And we have a guest who I've known for around about five years, all talking about wealth. He owns a company called Wealth Builders. And I'm going to get Kevin um, to talk a little bit about his, um, what he does in Wealth Builders and also all around SaaS. Um, I know that he's heavily involved in SaaSes and I myself have just, even today, um, actually received some money out of my SaaS. So that's quite exciting, quite relevant. <laughs> and, uh, literally, literally just before I came on the pod, I checked my bank account and it hit, hit it. So that how is, is the timing of this. Um, so it's often quite irrelevant. So I can see Kevin smile because he's, he's managed to work his magic and he knows how long it took me to get all of this sorted. So uh, um, I'm going to hand over to Kevin Whelan um, from Wealth Builders um, to talk through a little bit about himself and um, Wealth Builders and SASs. So Kevin, over to you. Sure. Well, th thanks for the invitation. You do make me smile because, you know, I can tell by the podcast, you know, you're a natural in your flow uh, with kind of connecting audiences and, and bringing great value. But <laughs> the administration piece, five years just made me laugh but listen I'm glad you took care of things and I'm glad I was able to help you so I'm Kevin Whelan I'm the founder of Wealth Builders Wealth Builders does what it says on the tin Mike uh, we're there to help people create build and protect their wealth and you know there's a need for this because 95% of the population sadly don't ever get to financial independence they're trading time for money for a lifetime and often at the end of their life lead a compromised life yeah, life really where they're struggling financially at a time when they should not be doing so. So over the course of probably around about 20 odd years now, I've crafted and created a step-by-step -step process that I followed myself and then now teach to others, which is a nine-step recurring revenue roadmap. You know, if anybody's interested in that, you can have a free copy of that. But essentially, we take people from where they are now, which is what level of income would flow into your life if the, the time traded work stopped? You know, if you're in a job or if you're in a business where you're doing the work, how much would be flowing into your life? And for most people, that's not a substantial enough number for them to be completely financially independent. And in the community, so we have a very large and thriving community of like-minded people in wealth builders, all trying to achieve their outcome of financial independence. And for the most part, that's around 10,000 a month. And uh, my experience is that when people follow a plan, when they get good education, they feel they're in a trusted place, not someone trying to just sell them new, new materials and new courses. We've all heard and seen people who do that, Mike. Um, connect them to others so it's a true sense of collaboration and help people mitigate risk by really strong due diligence. Then people make forward momentum. And it takes, on average, it's not a get-rich-quick scheme, building wealth, never is. Uh, it takes about five years. So the average of our students is about five years, and they get about 10000 a month after five years, which for 
most of our students is enough money to be completely financially independent for the rest of their life. And, you know, when I think about that and think five years of hard work instead of 40 odd years of uncertainty building up to retirement and then another 20 odd years in uncertainty, I just, I don't get why more people don't build wealth than only 5% do. And I'm on a mission to turn 5% into 6% and hopefully into 10%, but with one student, one member at a time. We refer to our students as members and everybody who's a member is a member of Wealth Builders and we do everything in our power to help people leverage, maximize everything that's in their financial life and in their intellectual life. We talked about wealth dynamics before we came on and wanting to be in flow so you do what you're great at um, instead of what you kind of struggle with and you delegate that. So, you know, we touched on a few things there, but that's what we do at Wealth Builders, get people from a place of financial insecurity to financial independence on average in about five years. Yeah, it's interesting um, that you say it does take time. I think, you know, one of the messages that I like to get across in the podcast is uh, there aren't that many get rich quick schemes. Um, it's, um, you know, build, build wealth slowly, but securely is, is a really good message to take. And I think, um, as you say, there are some course providers out there who sell on the hopes and dreams. Um, but it's interesting that you talk about members and it's about connecting those members. So what do the members get by connecting with each other? Well, that's a great question. And I think from, from one perspective, you know, the kind of support we have in terms of connecting members is things like um, uh, Facebook groups, buddy groups, focus groups, and uh, and the opportunity to have kind of networking um both online and hopefully in the future offline, but uh, mastermind events as well. So essentially what that means is when you're learning, wealth can be quite a lonely business. You know, you can be on your own. You can go slowly mad having a conversation with yourself. You know, what should I do? And most people, when, when, when contemplating their wealth, will often fall into the trap of looking for something tactical. You know, I, I rush into this instead of taking their time and, and, and connecting to other people who've done that very thing, who can then say to you, well, look, see, you're interested in what well, you're an expert in HMOs, for example. So, so, you know, you're interested in HMOs, say one of our members, instead of just going headlong into it, let's connect you to some people in the community who've done HMOs, white collar, blue collar, you know, all sorts of different tenant types, students and so forth. And then you can get a perspective of not just what's the tactic, HMO, but specifically how would you learn, not just what to do, how to do it, to get intellectual and valuable shortcuts from others who've been there ahead of you. And what we do in our membership, we all sign a document called the New Declaration of Independence, right? And one of the conditions in that is sharing. And we ask people to imagine that they're on a bridge, crossing a bridge from where they are now to independence. And they've got one hand reaching ahead of them, seeking help and having the humility to ask for it. And one hand behind them helping other people. And if we create that culture, uh, we've got our own language, our own culture, uh, hopefully share some of that language with you. But uh, when we do that, we find that people enjoy the journey. They don't go down too many cul-de-sacs. So they enjoy it. It's, uh, it's faster because, you know, they're getting shortcuts and uh, they get to see 
warts and all, really. You know, they don't just get the the shiny penny, which is you should do this. They get to meet people go, well, what did you actually do? How did that actually work? What was the good thing? What was the bad thing? What would you do differently? And when you ask those good questions, you normally get a better outcome for your wealth. Yeah, I, I think environment is is so important when almost changing it if you're if you're trying to change your behavior. And I guess this is part of what you're trying to do, isn't it? Change people's uh, mindset, behavior. Um, and I think environment and watching and being around those that are that are also doing it, you'll learn from them. But you just it's just a natural thing, isn't it? I think to copy. I mean, it's just it's just we I mean, you know, as kids, that's what we did at school, wasn't it? You know, you'd want to wear the similar things to everybody else. You didn't want to stand out. Although when we get to more adults, I think we want to stand out a bit more and, and be a bit more individual. But it takes a while to get there, I think. Um, but um, no, I take you. I take your point, and and I think there's a. Don't get me on this one. We could go off on a soapbox here about the education education system oh, yes. tools for financial literacy. But you know, when you're a kid, you're encouraged to be curious. You're encouraged to make mistakes. Um, you're encouraged to do to play. Uh, but as soon as you get into sort of, you know, 11 and onwards, you put the games away, you know, you 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 can't collaborate because that's cheating, Mike. Yeah. Um, and like about collaboration, cool. you know, so I enjoy the collaboration more than anything else. And it suits my wealth dynamic, of course, because, um, you know, I consider myself uh, with two particularly good skills, not to blow any smoke up my own rear end, but just to to be clear that I have to bring value to my membership, I'm extraordinarily creative and extraordinarily connected. And if I do both of those with skill and with integrity, then the whole community grows as a result of that. I'm sort of the visionary in the company. So my job is to, um, not that it's a job, but it's a, it's a vocation really, to, to find and bring in new partners, as we call them, sort of, you know, accredited partners who we just love to work with because they're outstanding. You talked about being outstanding um or stand out so that's outstanding in it and just another way of framing it and i love working with outstanding people so i seek out outstanding people and uh, and i try to bring them into our community if they're willing sharers um you know for for whatever value they can and whatever synergy that can be brought together mm, interesting interesting so what do people get involved in on this path to financial freedom? You touched on property. Obviously, we we, we, we talk about property and business on this podcast. Right. Um, you touched on property. I know pensions is probably another one. One of the ones one of the ones that I think is one of the most marvelous uh, wealth creations is actually royalties. Um, I love I love, uh, you know, because we talk about there's a lot of talk about passive income. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, there's this myth that property is passive income. It, it, you know, it can be set up in a very efficient way, but it can also be set up in the wrong way. But um, it's not really technically passive, but I do think royalties are passive. So which, which are your, which, which where, where do members kind of um, gravitate towards? What kind yeah, of it's a good question again, Mike. I mean, look, I mean, I can be quick about this, but you know, one of the things which is in my IP is there are wealth comes from the flow from the ownership or control of assets. Mm. And there are only seven. So once you know what the seven are, and then you know who you are in terms of your wealth dynamic, what you own, what you've got now in terms of financial resources, and what time and interest you have in a particular thing, you can start to craft out a a pathway 
to build multiple assets so that you don't end up in a position where you've got one of anything because one of anything is dangerous. So even property is dangerous. You know, look what happened in the pandemic. People who had service accommodation struggled. Uh, some people, uh, some tenants deliberately took uh, the option not to pay rent, didn't they? And, and, and talked about that in, in, in HMO. So there's all sorts of different things. In brief, the main, uh, we call um, assets pillars. Yeah. That's part of our language. And our logo is essentially a, a building, seven strong pillars standing up. You can imagine something that looks a bit like the Parthenon, but it's not crumbling apart. You know, it's actually solid and robust. And there's a foundation at the bottom and a roof at the top. So I won't go into the foundation and roof so much, but the seven structures, you know, are in, in essence how you build wealth. And most people do it wrong. Most people will build wealth in one, two, three, which is they own a home, they have a pension, they've got some money in investments in a market somewhere. And the vast majority of the population uh, simply focus on those three things. In fact, I'm going to... Um, contradict myself they don't focus at all uh, by accident they tend to have those things you know as a byproduct of, of their life if you like the ones who create um, outstanding value compounding value and can create multiple streams of recurring income I, I agree with you nothing's passive uh, well not much is passive so I even royalties have got to be maintained at some level right because you've yeah. got to claim them and you need legal documents in order to to shore them up however the main assets that uh, people build their wealth upon are property which I know specialism of you business another one intellectual property and joint ventures so they're the four entrepreneurial pillars and the three um, are you know what I call the traditional pillars and most people will struggle because the linear way that markets work when it comes to your house for most people they don't create an income from it they live in it the stock market does what the stock market does and the only wealth transaction that's taking place is the financial service industry is getting wealthy because they stick a siphon in your life and you just hope for the best and then you do it again um, with cash and the bank relends your money, makes a profit, but you don't get any of that profit. So the whole kind of right-hand side, as I call it, the traditional pillars, is for people who are not taking an active role in building their own wealth. They are being passive. Uh, the more active side, the more control, adding value is on the other side, building a portfolio of property, building business, and we can talk about the unique natures of, of these things, uh, building and creating intellectual property and uh, collaborating with joint ventures where you don't have to do the work, but you can share in the proceeds of the work by being a collaborator, uh, which I tend to be. I'm more of a collaborator these days than, than, uh, than, than other things, because as I said, if I'm creative and connected, um, I can make these things happen. Yeah, interesting. That, that, that's interesting. And um, I'd like to understand a little bit more then around how your community gets involved in these uh, types of activities. I should imagine the joint venture one is, as you say, your, your community is about collaboration. So the joint venture one. Um, what hints and tips do you have for people who might be entering into a joint venture? There seems to be a lot of joint ventures in property. So I think it's a good thing mm -hmm. for people to know and understand when looking and assessing, you talked about due diligence, 
what, what would you say is a is a good you know what what advice do you give to someone who's thinking about entering into a joint venture well it's a, again you're asking really good questions today mike so i'm going to say that um i deal in principles not in opinions so mm -hmm. i have a principle around joint ventures and that joint venture uh, i call testing the waters where each letter w-a-t-e-r-s stands for something so you need to identify right at the very beginning what's a good win for you and what's a good win for somebody else and have that conversation. Make sure your values are aligned. It's about relationships at the end of the day. All joint ventures are a form of relationship. It's not a transaction, it's a relationship. Check out the track record of both sides. Are you, you know, if you're an investor or a borrower, are both sides experienced and equipped to make decisions? All too often, uh, joint ventures um, will fall at the hurdle when you know the decision has to be made people have been interested but not committed to the process mapping out expectations is the e you know understanding um who's going to do what and documenting that as opposed to well i thought you were going to do that and no 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 i didn't mean that at all uh and that can you know mean legal documents and so on uh relationships uh, and how the relationship's going to work and what's going to happen if something goes wrong so, you know, one of the, the due diligence questions is always, what's the upside? What's the downside? Can I live with the downside? So if you're dealing with the downside, well, how, tell me what's happened, you know, if you're a borrower or a lender rather, tell me what's happened where something's gone wrong. In property, for example, you mentioned property and joint ventures. Things always go wrong. Always, always, always. They never go right. It's always too long, too expensive, too difficult. You know, things go wrong. What's the communication style going to be like when that happens and get them to commit and confirm that that's how that that's going to happen if something goes wrong. And then finally, legal structures. So, you know, all I say is, look, relationships are the key and, and check your values to the extent you resonate and then let that guide you to then do the remainder of the work. So that's how I do it. I have a gut call. What do I feel about this person? Are they outstanding in what they do? Do I resonate with them? Do I share their values? And then everything goes into, you know, the more detail where the conversations are slightly more difficult, but they should be because we're talking about real money, real expectations. And, um, you know, that's a, hopefully a useful tip. Yeah. Very useful. Very, very useful. I think, I think that's, that's important. Now, one of the things that I would say that you're sort of known for is helping people to unlock some wealth via their pension pots. Mm -hmm. Um, and that obviously is something how I came across you. I, you know, obviously that's something that I've done um, a little while ago um, and created, a, you know, took my corporate pensions and turned them into a SaaS and have been using my SaaS. And as I said, um, I managed to um, get some money out of my SaaS today. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, so I've lent money. I've, you know, utilized, invested money through it. And also now I'm utilizing some of it today. So yeah. What advice, so what, what would you say is, who, who, first of all, who would you say is a good candidate for creating a SaaS? Well, let's describe what it is because it's a bit of an odd set of language, isn't it? Wouldn't it is. be marketing it prizes, would it? I mean, unfortunately, it's not a marketing term. It isn't a, a term you and I have coined. It's a legal term. And it's a pension by another word, but it's a different kind of a pension. It's a more powerful pension. It's a pension that looks like a business and it means small self-administered schemes. Small because it's aimed for the small business owner. 
or a medium-sized family, maximum 11 people, right? So that's that's enough people really to, to collaborate with. Self-administered means you take control. It's probably better described as self-directed. So you choose. So if you think about where I described the assets earlier on, and I said, most people have got, you know, a house, a pension and an investment, probably the biggest bank account people have that's overlooked and absolutely disconnected from their life. It's a reflection of their past, not a directional compass point for the future is their pension. And what we're saying is, if you are committed to building wealth, if you have a limited company, so you've taken the step to become an SME, then you have the ability to apply and get permission to run your own pension scheme. Now, you can get guidance and everybody gets a little bit of guidance in the same ways business owners rarely do their own accounts. They get a bookkeeper or they get accountant. You do the same thing with your pension and essentially you turn that into a business. So if your business is doing property, you do property. If your business is creating IP, you create IP. If your business is joint ventures, you do joint ventures. And if your business is business, you do business. So whatever you want to create your wealth, it's almost like the way I regard it. I talked about earlier on, Mike, when I, describe the crossing of the bridge and people having hand out and hand behind. When you're crossing a bridge, essentially what you've done with your pension is you've garnered all the money, put it into a virtual rucksack, put it on your back and said, I'm not leaving it to the mercy of the stock market. I'm not letting somebody else control what I'm doing. I'm going to make that decision for myself because I'm an entrepreneur and I'm willing to create value. And you take it with you, cross the bridge, and then you deploy it wherever you want to deploy it within the law. And, you know, I discovered that myself a very long time ago. Uh, and I've been evangelizing on that for probably best part of probably since about 2010 when, when I really picked up the mantra. So a good decade, I've been talking about it and speaking about it and writing about it. And, um, you know, got a very vibrant community around SAS as well with um, um, a separate community just for SAS trustees called SAS Alliance. And that's really just about trying to get people, you know, I talk about connections. So every two weeks we have case studies, mm. you know, people who've done something with their SAS to inspire and educate somebody else who wants to know a bit more. Because like all things wealth, you can't Google it. You can't read it in a book. You've got to have exposure to what real people do to really understand it. And that's what we do. So we're very passionate about keeping people safe, but getting them inspired so they take action. There's nothing worse than having a SAS and having control of your pension if you're fearful and you just sit having money in a bank account and you're scared to deploy it and do something with it. So you need a bit of education as you do with every asset, uh, but we're a, a willing educator and uh, we act as a guide to help people, A, decide if it's a good fit for them, be you know what they should do and and um, see how to connect with people who've done it before them so they get that as i said you know earlier on they get that intellectual shortcut yeah and there is i mean there can be quite a lot of knowledge that you need to actually run this thing i mean obviously there oh. is advice out there to help with that but it's but the possibilities are actually quite large aren't they and i'm, I'm always fascinated by that i have two guys i did run a mentorship group that i've been running for a little while and i have two people in there who both have really got into their sasses Mm -hmm. uh, I think one is was nominated for one of your top deals of the year or something um, by utilizing SAS. And it's fascinating to see what you can do with your SAS 
um, certainly within the property world. And, and I'm sure I've left untapped all the other stuff, although I have utilized it for a little bit of business um, as well. Um, so um, it is it is interesting to see. It's um, in reality, Mike, it's just a source of funds. I mean, it starts its life as a bank account. You know, it's a trust fund with a bank account. And you're in control of the bank account. So if you want to use the money to, you know, there are some rules, of course, we won't get into those. But if you happen to want to um, buy a commercial building and convert it into resi, and there's a lot of the change of use right now, permitted development rules have got really quite flexible. So, you know, that's a big growth area. If you want to invest in peer to peer, you can do that. If you want to invest in cryptocurrency, you can do that. If you want to invest in the stock market, of course, you can do that. If you want to lend money to enable an outstanding developer, you, know, you can do that. If you want to uh, use that money and lend it to yourself, you can lend 50% of the value of your money to yourself. And because you can collaborate, it means you know husbands and wives or business owners can put their money together. Then all of a sudden, instead of having one pot of pension money, they've got three, four, five pots of pension money, which gives them more leverage. And wealth comes from leverage. So when you've got more leverage, and I think the person you were referring to actually bought a building that was entirely unmortgageable, but by using the cash in his pension fund was able to buy it because nobody else could buy it because they couldn't get a mortgage on it. He said, I don't need a mortgage, my pension could buy it. Um, and that's just some of the ways you can use that. So we've written a guide on, on this, you know, how why every property professional should consider SaaS as a way to generate funds and also the sasses of other people. You know, if you're outstanding at what you do, other people can lend their money to you. So, you know, there's double ways of uh, becoming SaaS savvy and learning a bit more. And, um, you know, anybody who wants to get a copy of the guide, I'm um, sure you'll give them contact details in the show notes, Mike. And uh, they can have a copy of that, which says, hey, if you're a property pro professional, you should know about this. It doesn't mean to do it. But to know about it means you can add that to your another string to your bow, even if it's you don't have a pension, that's fine, no worries. But thousands and thousands of other people do, so you could be attracting the, uh, the, those funds. And there's a whole different skill set we can get onto that if you want um, about raising fund, mon, money and becoming investable. And uh, there's a whole kind of series of different mindsets I've got on that, which are often quite challenging. Yeah, and and so that that's a good lead into sort of you know um, property people like to access funds whether it's in a SaaS whether it's other you know whether it's pe people with money in a bank account, but as you say you have your own vision on what what you feel is good to be investable and how property investors can come across as being investable. Mm. So do you want to share with people your tips or again sure. your strategies on for attracting in funds, what sure. people need to do. Um, I know they've come and presented at some of my groups before um, with some of that, but it would be really yeah. interesting for the, I think for the listeners to, um, to understand what some of the key principles are, because I come across people, work with people who, who are still trying to get that into their head. And I think it would help okay. them enormously. Well, let's, let's deal first of all, with a couple of principles. Principle number one, if you think about money and the, and funding, um, so many courses, so many things taught about finding property, but so little about the funding of it, putting aside banks and institutions, but 
in the end, all money comes from people. So if you can get to the art of building relationships with people, then there's there's ways to attract private investment. Um, so I'm not going to talk about mortgages, not going to talk about institutions, but when you go to an institution, however you do it, uh, we saw the credit crunch in 2008. We're seeing some similarities right now. It's getting more difficult to get money on the most flexible terms. Um, so having a skill to say, well, okay, look, let me understand what do I actually need to get my portfolio to deliver my financial independence? So let's give an example. So, um, you know, you, you're in the wealth builder community and you say, I really like HMOs and, and I want 10,000 a month. Okay. I've worked out that the average HMO will give me a thousand pounds a month. And I've worked out that my deposit in refurb needs to be a hundred thousand. I'm making these numbers up, but you yep, get them, yep, right? Yep, get this. So, so I need a total of uh, amount of money in deposits and refurbs of 10 times 100, which is a million pounds. Pounds. Okay. So I've got a funding strategy to find a million pounds. All right. How long are we going to take to do that? I'm going to do it quite leisurely because I've got a job. So I'm going to do it in 10 years. Okay. So one HMO a year is your plan. You're happy to do it in 10, not in five. Great. That's your call, not my call. Perfect. If the average private investor lends 100,000, how many private investors do they need? And it might well, only be one. I was going to say, it could be one. It could be one. They, because if, because they... if one person lends you and then you give you do what you say you're going to do, which is you know an important ingredient here, back to that waters point, that relationship point, and then you deliver the money back and they go, well, no, 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 I don't want the money back. I don't want to put it back in the stock market again or back in cash. Please, please, you know, find another project. You do it again and you do it again, you do it again. Um, and I've got cases where some of our members who are uh, into JVs, not into the doingness, they're into the being a lender. And they've done seven, eight, nine loans to the same person because they've built an incredible relationship over a long period of time. Now, assuming you want to do it and half the time, you might need two. So the point is, in any event, you don't need many. And that's the key. So you don't need many private investors. So the skill is to become investable. And how you do that is like a business owner and a property owner, you solve the problem of other people. And the problem that I see is developers, somebody wants money for a project, I'm using the term loosely, don't see it from that angle. When a developer talks to me, when they meet me, they want to tell me about them. I've been doing this, I've been doing that, I've been doing this and this for years and years and years, and, and, and I've got this great deal, and I don't, it's the best deal in the, in the, I've seen in, in recent history, and I, and, I, and I need the money in three weeks' time. It's all about the deal, the deal, the deal, and people speak at you or they speak at me and I don't enjoy that so I try and slow them down and say well look you're solving a problem of somebody and the problem is you need to put them at the center of your story so if you tell the story of you and your business so why your HMO business solves me and my investor needs I share the high yielding returns I get on my outstanding portfolio of HMOs, 
that serve this community, whoever it would be, blue collar, white collar, young professional student. And I do so with investors who we share common values and are willing to build a long-term relationship. Is that likely to be you? And you slow it down and you give them five things. And most developers I've ever met only want to give them one. Five ROIs, Mike. The first one they, they want to give, they want to give them a return on their investment. Uh, you know, and they, they'll ask me questions like, what's the lowest interest rate I can get away with, you know, to get money? It's like, no, that's not the question. The question is, what can you bring that's incredibly valuable to them that if you thought about it, you'd understand that's what they wanted. So what do they want? The first thing they want is their money back. So they want the return of their investment. So show them in your story, and we encourage people to write, you know, like a 10 uh, like a 10 PowerPoint slide story, something like that. I've got templates people can have if they want, Mike, it's not a problem, um, to say, right, okay then. Um, I'm willing to um, help you understand this is what I do to keep myself safe. And by implication, this is what's keeping your money safe. And use your track record to do that. So if you're in the military, talk about precision. If you're an accountant, talk about attention to detail. If you've got, you know, a business, talk about the team in your business, you know, that keep them safe. And the other things are, you know, very quickly, people want knowledge. They want to know what's going on and they want to see what's going on. You know, they want an experience, an interaction and an intellect, return on intellect, return on interaction. They want to feel proud of being associated with you. Uh, increasingly now, and we're seeing this a lot, they want an impact, return on impact, which is things like supported living, or I've got one uh, member who's uh, providing accommodation um, as part of the profit for the uh, Gurkha community, you know, because they're from Nepal. Um, you know, you've got so many different ways, green energy, carbon footprints, so many different ways people can make an impact. And when investors want to do something, they want to make an impact. And then, and only then, do they care about the return on their investment. In my experiences, if you deliver knowledge and experience and impact and show them how you're keeping their money safe, the cost of getting that money comes down dramatically because you're serving them in more ways than just giving them, just you know, asking for a transaction. Yeah. And, and that's what I teach and that's what I share with people. And for those people who... I resonate with and who are outstanding in their field. Um, if they follow that logic, they always get money. Money always flows. Um, and I commend that thought process to anybody. Solve the problem of investors. Don't think about it selfishly by solving your own problem because you will cost you more money and you'll have more heartache if you do it that way. Yeah. And and uh, a couple of things in there that I wanted to pick up on, which um, I've certainly picked up over time, um, and I've heard you speak a few times around this, so um, probably from yourself, which is the speed. The investor, the, the, the property person always wants to be running a million miles an hour because they have a deal on the go. They have a deal, and, and they have a deal on the go, and yet the investor obviously wants to take their time and is running at a very different speed, and that two different speeds can collide. Yeah. And I think... Um, you know, property investors need to understand that. And I talk about sowing seeds 
So I say, sow the seeds, start sowing the seeds before you need the money. So you start yeah, even exactly. talking about that. So the, the speed can be far more aligned. And the other thing that I also um, picked up on, on what you were saying, which I totally agree with, is, is, is the story. Um, uh, um, um, I, I, I always liken it to, um, uh, there's a great book called The Story Brand by Donald Miller. Yeah. And, um, we should probably be aware of, but- I have read that one. Yeah, yeah is when you're the, um, you know, and you're the guide, but and essentially your role is to be the guide and not the yeah. star of the film. Um, and all Hollywood movies are fairly done in a very similar way. Um, you know, they meet a guide, you know, there's a big terror, you know, there's a big problem. They meet the guide, the guide guides them, and then almost catastrophe happens. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, it all works out in the end. Um, but it's, um, you know, I think, think about that as a different role within that whole experience, as you were saying, I think is really, really spot on as well. Yeah, and that's how we approached it with Wealth Builders. So, you know, the Story Brand book, did influence us and um, we don't talk about, you know, my wealth, we don't talk about that. Uh, if anybody wants to inspect it, they're welcome to do so, but we don't talk about what I do, we talk about principles and that how over the years we've gained an incredible kind of an eclectic insight into all seven assets and we've got this huge community of 50 different types of a partner that we've got, you know, ranging from all the brokers, all the legals, all the accountants, all the experts in all the different fields of property, business, crypto, stock market, everything you could possibly need in your wealth building life. You know, we built up an expertise around other people. We don't claim to be a guru. We claim to be a guide. And that's our own, is to yeah. be a guide to people, guide giving them a roadmap and a plan that if they follow it, it will work as long as they check in and we get the check-in every month. Um, they're not allowed to not check in. They check in every single month to make sure that you know, they're doing something and not getting stuck, not getting derailed by what's going on in life, which of course, so many things going on in life to, that are set to derail us and that can stop people you know, from building their wealth. They stop too soon um, and that's a challenge. So by having monthly coaching calls. I've got six coaches who work with uh, with us here at Wealth Builders. And, um, you know, they go through that process of coaching them every single month and saying, why are you stuck? What's happening? Let's help you. Not to treat them like children, but to treat them like grown-ups and say, right, okay, I see that has, has come up. Let's help you do this instead. Or let's find this as a workaround so that you keep the momentum going. Mm, in brilliant. Interesting. So the the other thing that I've observed, and this has come through in the podcast to me, um, and it's it's actually how you take it's probably is it, I don't know whether the right word is a long term view. You appear to be, you know, you said, oh, well, I've built this over 10 years or, you know, this community isn't been a rush to create. It hasn't been, yeah. you know, it's been there for the longevity, but but, you know, slowly and gradually built over time by the sounds of things. Mm -hmm. and I think that's the Kevin style is to sort of build momentum and, and things move in momentums. Um, yeah, so sure. um, what what I would like to do is get your hints and tips for any business owner here, because I always talk property as a business, you know, you should treat right. it as such as a business as, you know, a couple of amazing tips for property or well, for entrepreneurs, you know, SMEs, you say, you know, the SASs are needed mm -hmm. for SMEs. What, well, they have to be amazing tips. Yeah. They're well, they can be any tips you want, really. I'm trying to make it useful. Hopefully they're useful. <laughs> 
Um, I don't, I'm not going to set you up into like, they must be amazing, but um, I just want a couple of tips just because I've been observing what I do in these podcasts is observe, you know, the, the whole thing and, and try and pick out those kind of elements. And I think for you, it's all about just building momentum, building momentum and being consistent, being steady, being and, and things will grow around you. And it's like, I just liken it and can see this sort of snowball. You know, you, you probably the first few years you're pushing it up the hill and then you got to the peak and you've obviously got to the peak. And then it's been, you know, that snowball has been going down the hill and just getting bigger and bigger and probably growing bigger and bigger. Well, it's an interesting point. I mean, I think I've been I've been coaching and mentoring, you know, for a long time um and you know when i got when i achieved my own independence i taught others and they paid a premium price for it and that was fine but it was only by connecting with somebody else who had the tempo energy the doing this energy to pull all of the ip out and say let's capture this because this is valuable information that can be shared by people who perhaps can't afford to pay a premium um, and that's absolutely fine but make it accessible uh, to people, you know, so that they do have a roadmap, they do have a plan, but you don't have to be the person delivering it because your IP is there. Mm. For that. Mm. But anyway, going back to business owners, I have a passion for business, Mike. It's my favorite pillar. Um, I've eight different businesses. And um, the key thing about business is I think there's a PowerPoint um, or a, a three pin plug that needs to be in play. And I look for this. So these are my three amazing tips. For business owners. Number one, choose a business with a high degree of recurring income. Now that's great for business, but also means you've got to focus on adding value because people only pay a recurring income if they're getting recurring value. So it keeps you sane. It keeps you honest about adding value. Number two, choose a niche and become outstanding in that niche. No mediocrity allowed. Be bloody brilliant. Be amazing in that niche. And three, design the business that at some point it will work without you so that it acquires a value. Whether you sell it or keep it, it can create a royalty. I know you like that, Sam. It does sound good, doesn't it? Royalty. I just like the way that sounds. <laughs> yeah, royalty. Yeah. Good, doesn't it? Um, you're generating something, whether you sell it or keep it. But the businesses that are sold for the highest premium are always sold with recurring income because of the predictability of profit that is so prized by acquirers. So they would be my tips for business owners. I think very, very good tip. And I think not enough people think about um, it's getting the business to work without them. You know, of course, you're going to be still around the business uh, when you're owning it and running it. But it's like getting it to run without you. It's, it's too much evolved around you and your strengths and skills. Um, when you're small and you know when you start off a business it often is like that but you need to get it and I think that's a lot of people struggle to get beyond that point yeah, where yeah. You know, even if they employ people it's still evolved very much focally around them and you move that linchpin and basically the, the value unless it's got assets you know which unfortunately a lot of property businesses have but um, you know beyond that um, without them it's not going to have much value so um, yeah. I think it's really really important to focus on that and and do that early on um and you know it can be you know i think people sometimes get a little bit lazy because it's easier to answer questions than to set up a process that means that those questions stop coming yeah and there, there are so many good people out there who are outstanding in the field of systemization of business and 
um, probably one of the seminal books on the subject was the myth. Yeah. Um, everybody's read that just as everybody's read Rich Dad. So, and now you've, you've, um, you've talked about the book of, um, story brand. I'm running out of books, Mike. <laughs> I'll have to think of another one. <laughs> you, can, you can refer back if I ask you which book that made a big impact. You can refer back to ones we refer to. It's not surprising. No, I'll, I'll find another. If they made an impact. The, the other one, a, a, a friend of mine who was very, very successful, um, uh, uh, he, he employed um, to systemize his business. He, he said he, that was one of the biggest mistakes he made. He made it through him. And he, every decision went through him and this grew to be a massive business. Yeah. And one day he just exploded and just said, I can't cope with anymore. Threw his phone over the bridge <laughs> and never had a mobile phone okay. ever again. Okay. All right. Fair enough. And um, uh, well, he was, he was, a, he was a very well, believe me, he was probably one of the wealthiest people I uh, ever knew. So, um, uh, and uh, he, he then employed, um, have you heard of the one minute manager? Yeah, uh, um, the author of the One Minute Manager to systemize his business and get him out oh, of the business. Okay, he was out, out of that, and then he got himself out of the business and continued okay. to the businesses and uh, taught me a lot um, around business. Actually, mm -hmm. always good to have a good chat with him. Yeah. Um, so um, that sort of leads me on to really, you've done the, um, some good tips, and we're just touching on the book. So let's let's what what book has made a big impact on your life um, that you can share with the listeners so that they want to read it and learn. Yeah, I think the three we've mentioned are really just brilliant books. So probably the one I've read recently that has definitely had an impact on me is a book called Who Not How. Um, the, the author didn't write it because why the hell would he write a book called Who Not How? He found the who to write it as Dan Sullivan is the, um, is the guy who, runs a business in um, the US and the UK called Strategic Coach. Now, um, the principle of the book in a nutshell is when anybody has a struggle in their business or I apply it to wealth, they always find themselves asking the question, how do I do this? How do I do that? And the answer we give and Wealth Builders, and I alluded to that with creating this, this huge accredited partner list, is there is always a who. At the other end of a how question, there's always a who, who's been there, who's done that, and has been checked out by us with incredible integrity and shared value. Uh, and we will connect you to them. And that changed the way we build the community. Um, so who know how? And I would commend that book. Uh, to anybody to read brilliant not one i've not heard of so that that's yeah. good that's good news i, I will uh, i i get quite a lot of learnings out of this as well which is brilliant so i i managed to go off and read read a few a few things i just do it on audible mike i'm just uh you know this morning before i came to talk to you i you know, was walking the dog um listening to uh listen to a podcast i'm always listening to something or or, or an or a audible book um you know, so I was listening to something this morning that somebody had referred to me. So I was, I'm not through it yet, so I don't want to endorse it. But, uh, uh, but listening, always listening to something. Got you know, two or three books on the go at the same yeah. time. Audible. Yeah. What mood am I in? What am I doing? Am I walking? Am I exercising? Am I, you know, if I got, am I in the car? I'll always be listening to something because I get inspiration and a little nugget from somebody that go, that's interesting. I never saw that perspective before. Yeah. 
Yes, it's often just a little thing, isn't it? And it's accumulation of those little things that you just pick up on and it makes a difference. And then it, it comes sometimes, for me, sometimes it then sits in my mind and I'm throwing it around my mind and how can I use exactly. that? What does that mean? How can or, I use that? Yeah, exactly right, yeah. So I do uh, I do that all the time. It's, it's great. So and that's uh, why I probably never retire. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. People say, do you want to retire? And I'm going, well, I'm, you know, I, I, you know, I'll structure things probably slightly differently. Um, and I'm going through that at the moment. But um, uh, but certainly, um, yeah, love, love the Audible, love the podcasts, big fan of podcasts. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we mentioned Clubhouse as well, the dreaded Clubhouse just before. <laughs> day one. Um, interesting format, but it, it can be, suck, you know, it can suck you in either as a provider or as, or as a listener, I think. Um, yep. But still, again, some interesting content and you get some views and stuff. So, um, <clears throat> but it's good just to mix it around and, and do all of that stuff. Sure. I'm, I'm going to finish off the podcast um, with, I always ask my guests as to where they see, you just returned, you just sort of said you're not going to retire. So where does Kevin see himself in around 10 years time? I always think 10 years is a great one because it's it's not that close. Yeah, it's not that close at all, is it? Quite, quite significant. No, I, I, I think I, I consider myself as the first generation pioneer of the wealth building for my family. And so what I intend to be is the coordinator of a family charter that allows my family not to be set up with an expectation to receive the wealth that's been generated, but to be custodians of that for the next generation and the generation after that. So I'll probably find myself in an egocentric way, getting a very nice portrait and asking them to salute me or to toast me with a nice glass of something in 150 years time and say, cheers to the old bugger who gave us the principles and the wisdom to build wealth and to keep the wealth in the family and to grow it and maintain it for generations to come. And that's what I'm working on right now. I think that's a, it's a great way to finish off the podcast. So um, thank you very much, Kevin. Um, um, been, a, been a great conversation today. We've delved into various different things. Um, if people want to contact you, Kevin, what's the best way to get in touch um, with yourself? Yeah, anything that um, I mentioned today, uh, too many things to mention probably, I guess now, but just send an email to hello at wealthbuilders.co.uk. Mention uh, the podcast, um, Mike Frisbee or the name of the podcast, whatever you want to do. And then I'll remember what um, I said you can have would be the templates for becoming investable, the seven reasons why every property professional should consider SaaS, a copy of my book of the seven uh, assets, the seven pillars of wealth, all freely given um, because we just want to you know, give great value because you know, one or two people might listen and go, hey, I like those guys. I'll, I'll check them out in a little more detail somewhere down the line. As you say, Mike, I'm in it for the long game. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciated enjoying chatting to you today. And um, thank you for coming on the podcast and, and sharing all your wealth of knowledge uh, with the listeners. So thank I appreciate you the much. invitation. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Property Business Accelerator podcast with Mike Frisbee. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and at our website propertybusinessaccelerator.co.uk